Hey everybody, welcome back. Happy Wednesday. Hope you're doing well. Thanks for being with us as we continue through first letter of Timothy into the second chapter today. Um, we pick up in verse eight and the next two days, actually in the broader context, the next couple, several days, maybe the rest of this week and part of next week, we'll have a lot of interesting stuff in it. We are um, just beginning a section that has raised lots of questions and lots of issues in the church in different ways. Um, in the next two days, today and tomorrow, I think, it, depending on how we pace this, we will see those questions particularly related to gender and um, not exclusively, but primarily questions over the role of women in the church and what these verses have meant. We won't solve anything, but we will try to share with you uh, some of both the negative and positive that these kind of verses have have uh, inspired or occasioned in the church. Then as we move on, we'll have two sections on leadership in the church, and uh, there'll be some overlap in that, but also raises lots of questions historically. So we jump in today, and, and remember, yesterday we saw Paul sort of talk about society at large, um, a very long, sustained commentary on prayer and praying for leaders, praying for a peaceable society. Now we begin to turn that focus down, and we begin to look um, within the church, or you could even say the household. And so let me just start here. I'm just going to read a sentence, and then we'll get into more of it. Verse uh, 8, I desire then that in every place men should pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or argument. Now, we've said this as we've gone through this book. We know that there were problems in the church community that Timothy serves. What we don't know is exactly what they were, and so we have to take some guesses based on what Paul writes to Timothy. And based on this verse, it would appear as though there's some conflict in the men of the church. Um, I desire that in every place men should pray, lifting up holy hands without argument or anger. And, and the idea here, if you can imagine that if to pray, to worship with outstretched hands, what does this prevent? It prevents lashing out. It prevents fists. It prevents anger and fighting. And that's the idea here, that the church should be a place. And interestingly enough, we'll, we'll talk about this a lot in a moment. Interestingly enough, this is addressed to men because Paul, following the culture of his day, assumes that it is most often men who participate in conflicts, particularly violent conflicts. And so he he says here, and it's easy to miss this with what's coming, but this is a challenging word to the men of that community that they should, rather than fight with one another, rather than be angry or argue with one another, they should pray together, lifting up holy hands in prayer, in service, in relationship, and that this is Paul's idea not only for this church, but in every place. 
And again, Michael, we have to kind of take some guesses that Paul says this because it it would make sense that it's the remedy to what he knows is happening in that community. Yeah, right. I do think it's helpful to point out the very particular nature of the beginning of the text here. I think that's very helpful, Clint. I would also note here uh, this uh, very key word that we have very early on in verse 8. Well, I guess it's more closer to the middle, uh, where Paul says that we are here lifting up holy hands. Notice that word holy. I think that is a critical adjective in this uh, particular verse, because though Paul is going to spend a lot of time in the verses to follow, uh, addressing women in particular, here as he addresses men, I think he very much is setting out the kind of overarching theme that he's going to then apply as he begins talking about women. And I think we need to hold on to that because this idea of holy hands uh, has a substantial connection to where we've already been in the text. Don't forget, if you missed yesterday's study, I do think it is relevant. Once again, this idea that we are lifting up in prayer those leaders and those people in our society who are high and lifted up, this idea that we should live peaceable lives, lives that are well-suited to godliness. Here, we begin to see Paul honing that. He's going from that larger vision down to a more particular kind of exhortation for the men. And if we're willing to see that, then I think holiness is an important theme. The, the idea that there should be character, there should be a set-apartness, that uh, in one's praying and one's lifting up holy hands, one is uh, in that act doing so as one of good, uh, a, a good Christian repute. And that is absolutely essential to this idea uh, that, uh, that worship and the Christian community is animated by honesty and by real transformation into the image of Jesus Christ. Now, he spends a few scant words here in verse 8, addressing men in particular. But I I think we need to hold on to that because I think that theme does matter, Clint, as we turn our attention to what he has to say about the women. Yeah, and as we do that, just an introductory word. Um, We're we're not going to try and soften these words. Some of these words are difficult. I do want to remind us, though, that these are not exclusively Christian words. And what I mean by that is it's not just people of the faith, of Christian faith in Paul's day, who are asking questions about proper behavior for men and specifically women. That's part of a larger conversation that's happening. Uh, The Romans, the philosophers of the Greeks and the Romans had ideas about gender, about how men and women should conduct themselves. The Jews certainly brought a lot to that conversation. So we read these few verses, and they seem um, very pointed to us, but we have to remember that they are a snapshot of a bigger landscape. And Paul, or the writer in this case, adopts some of those larger assumptions about what it means for women to be women. And so as we move into this, I, I do think that's helpful. These are not particular to the Christian faith. The, these ideas of modesty, these ideas of kind of proper adornment, they exist outside of the church. And I, and I think that's helpful to know that. So let me read it, then we can do more with it. 
Also that the women should dress themselves modestly and decently in suitable clothing, not with their hair braided or with gold, pearls, or expensive clothes, but with good works, as is proper for women who profess reverence for God. Now, there are several ways that you can get here. Uh, By and large, historically, this has been translated as a woman's attempt to kind of present herself in a uh, sexualized way, in a um, in an attractive way, um, bordering on taking that too far, a, a kind of um, upfrontness, a showiness that Paul feels is out of character for the Christian church and the Christian faith. Um, th- that has probably been, Michael, I would say, the driving interpretation that that there are some women in that community who wear what they shouldn't wear, and they they sort of take some measure of um, pleasure, I suppose, in displaying themselves improperly, and and obviously that causes some problems. And and historically, that's where this verse has been taken. Yeah. So we've got to be uh, upfront here that there is also some scholarly uh, speculation, I mean, quite frankly, that we don't know the exact nature of what, what's happening in this particular Christian community. Though, l- let's let's remember that humanity hasn't changed that much, uh, really. I mean, our, our innate sort of uh, propensities. And at this time, you know, one of the commentators that I was looking at uh, today for, for the study made the point that as the Roman Empire really continued to have its cultural influence throughout its geographic bounds, this movement towards high apparel and beautiful dress really came down from some of the emperor's wives' uh, clothing, some of the ostentatiousness of Roman culture, uh, that some cultures that had not had that intrinsically in their lived experience began to see that sort of seeping down from the top a little bit and becoming uh, something that people really sought after and valued. So not to take that too far, but I do think there is to say wherever we see Paul, even apart from issues like this, wherever we see Paul um, noticing that people in the church are drawing attention to themselves or making it about their own ministry and their own sort of benefit and not the sake of their fellow believers, that Paul becomes very suspicious. And if we're willing to get there, I think we could maybe understand a little bit more contextually why Paul would would say these words to the women in this community. From his vantage, he may have been talking something about uh, uh, keeping Jesus Christ at the center and not using any form of physical display to distract from the gathered purpose of that community. Now, what that particularly looks like, and certainly what its interpretation by Christians seeking to live out the faith today, that, I think, should generate a robust conversation. But but I think as best as we can, we should try to put ourselves in the shoes of what, what's intended here. And that's not always easy, Clint, but maybe that helps us get, get started at least. Yeah, and I, I think— 
by and large, Michael, I, I suspect that these verses are not terribly offensive to most people, particularly if people have raised children, especially girls. I, I mean, if, you, if you've had daughters, the idea of wearing appropriate clothing it has almost certainly come up at some point in your parenting experience. You know, you're going to wear that outside or maybe you shouldn't, maybe you should do this. Or, you know, we live in the area where in the summer there's, you know, a high comfort level with not wearing a lot to the lake. And, you know, again, if you've parented, I think you've probably had some of those conversations with your young women in your family. Hey, keep in mind that there is a sort of standard that makes some sense. There, there is a kind of an appropriateness. Some of that is cultural. Um, I've been struck when, when we've traveled to Mexico with mission teams. You know, they, they tell the men, don't wear shorts. They tell the women, don't wear tank tops. It's sometimes people are offended by that, but, but it is the standard of that culture. It doesn't make it right. It just means that you draw undue attention to yourself and you draw some negative attention to yourself by, by, you know, going against the grain. And, and that could be at work here too. It also should be noted. This becomes, I think, more important again tomorrow. The word women can easily be translated wives. And, and if so, this could be saying, Wives should dress themselves modestly. Wives should not be trying to capture the attention of the men around them. They have a husband. It's possible that something like that is happening. You know, we laugh about braided hair because in our culture that doesn't mean anything. But in Paul's day, it would have sent a message. And Paul, and I, not, not Paul's not alone here. Many others thought it was an inappropriate message. And we, you know, we can feel that maybe we don't agree with their standards, but they are the standards. And Paul, I think, is encouraging Timothy to encourage these women, whoever they are, and for whatever reasons they're doing it, to tone it down a little bit because it, it seems as though they've become a distraction. You know, I think that we could really uh, be honest here and say that there are some who are going to be comfortable by the base idea, which I think Paul is making the case that there are some things that the Christian gives up for the sake of discipleship, for the sake of seeking to live in the midst of Christian community. And as he applies that to the needs that he knows specifically, and we can only speculate towards uh, in this particular community, what we discover is while we may be a little uncomfortable with these words, uh, you know, I think the braided hair is a great example of that, Clint. I, I do think the general theme of what does it look like to be willing to put down our own privilege or our own assumptions or, or our own opinions for the sake of living in Christian community. And if you've been Christian for any period of time, you know uh, that there's times in the Christian life where, where that does look like accommodation for the sake of our neighbor. And, and we see Paul making that case, not just for women in particular. We see him make that case for Christians in Corinth. We see him make that case, I would argue, for Christians in Rome. I, I think the reality is 
that that here we may find some of these particulars to cut against our experience. But I think the major force of it, Clint, is deeply embedded in the Christian faith. That question, what can I give so that Jesus Christ might be glorified in, in the community? While that cuts against some of our American value of self-determination, uh, personal freedom, you know, th- there's always been a challenge to find the intersection of that in American Christianity. And I, I just think Paul's words challenges us. However we end up, they challenge us to ask, uh, what can I do to uh, be a, a brother in Christ, to be a sister in Christ in the midst of a meaningful Christian community? That's what Paul's striking at, I think. Yeah, I agree. There is one other possibility that some Bible scholars, some commentators have raised, and that is that with these mentions of things like gold and pearls and expensive clothing, this is perhaps less about kind of wanting attention and more about classism, the idea that there were some very wealthy women who wanted to establish the idea that they were above some of the people who didn't share their income and didn't share their fashion sense. So, I, I mean, again, I, I don't—it's hard to translate some of these things. But imagine the couple who comes to church in a tuxedo and a $5,000 dress with diamond earring. You would wonder yeah. why— what what is ha- what is going on? Why the need to be so ostentatious? Why bring that stuff to church? And you would begin to suspect that maybe they wanted to be seen, maybe they wanted to be appreciated for having a lot of money. That maybe there was something else going on other than they wanted to come and experience true. And humble worship. The other thing that I think is helpful, remember that when we talk church in Timothy, we're talking about a series of house churches. So we're talking about, you know, a few families getting together in multiple locations. And in those locations, it may have turned into a fashion show. It may have turned into a competition. It may have turned into who knows what. And Paul wants to assert that if that happens, th- then it's not worship. It's not we're we're not there for the right reasons, and we're not doing the right things while we're there. And so, um, you know, in I just think historically, and, and again, I'm certainly not trying to be sexist here. Questions of of dress and glamour have generally applied to females more than males through the year. Yes, there are men who dress up in very fancy clothes. Yes, that happens. But questions of modesty have either fairly or unfairly tended to live on the conversation. Um, I suspect if people have raised daughters and sons, they've probably had to have that conversation more often with their daughters. And, and that could be the way that we socialize young women. It could be the messages they see. But um, if it bothers you that Paul isn't saying these same things to the men, uh, sorry about that. That's just tended to way, be the way it goes. Uh, so I want to just very quickly point out in verse 10, I think this really, really matters. I don't want to rush past this. Uh, he says, but with good works as is proper for women who profess reverence for God. We are very, very tempted, and I'm not saying without reason, to focus in on the 
uh, proper for women part of that phrase. But I, I want to just submit to you for a moment that this, but with good works, right? Not the adornment, not the exterior signs, but rather the good works. This connects, I think, directly to that language about living peaceably. Uh, I think it connects directly to what we've had in the first chapter, that language about how we are called uh, to be people uh, who who know the law, but don't interpret the law wrongly, right? There's this idea that he said that the law shows us what's wrong. And we, we had this extensive conversation of, you know, how that connects to his much more fleshed out work in Romans. If you're willing to go with me down that road, then I, I put to you this, that there's a sense in which I think we can read this as Paul saying that the things that we do should reflect the substance of the faith, that the works of the faith should be seen in the actual way that we live our life. And I think that illustration that you give there, Clint, is helpful in that if we show up to church in an ostentatious display of wealth, then we are, we are in some ways theologically displaying a commitment to the wealth as opposed to a commitment to the body. And the, to the and to the opinion of others. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah, absolutely. And from a reform perspective, which is what we're going to bring to this conversation, anything that distracts from the might of God in the gathered community, anything that distracts us from the worship of the honorable one, the, the one who is worthy of worship, is something that needs rooted out of the community. Now, we do not have all of the backstory to why Paul addresses this, both in his culture nor how we would we would translate the the exact cultural framework into our own culture. I, that's where we, as a church, and by the church I mean the big church, have had extensive conversation. I, we're not going to solve that as you led the conversation. What we can say is. Uh, wherever you find yourself, and uh, uh, you know this is two men having a conversation about what Paul said uh, to this community and their, and in particular the women in it. You know, I think whether you're a woman or whether you're a man, however you are seeking to live out the faith, have you asked the question, "What can I do to remove barriers for myself and for others to encounter the living God?" That seems to me to be the force of this particular text, and and as we try to work out its. Uh, it's force in our own communities. You know that's important work, but but we need to engage in that work out of that deeper reality, that deeper spiritual truth. Yeah, and, and this text has some potholes in it. Probably nothing compared to tomorrow's text, but there are some bumps here. But I don't think it should um, completely lead us to miss the point because we we don't live in a culture that I think you could reasonably call modest. We we live in a culture where every day people post pictures of themselves and you know some of those pictures are racy, some of those pictures are provocative. We live in a culture where very young girls can you know have access to clothing that is probably far beyond their age range for most of us. And and we sort of live with that idea that, well, if you think you look good and you like it, you, you should wear it. And it's not really about how it looks to other people. And, and there's some wisdom in that, but there's also some wisdom in the idea of modesty, of humility, of not seeking to present myself for the approval of others, particularly the kind of um, sexualized or um, wealth-based or 
you know, shallow approval of others. Be approved for the way you live. Be approved for the work you do in the name of Jesus Christ, not for the brand of earrings you wear, not for the kind of tuxedo you have. I I think, you know, th- this maybe isn't the best place to have the conversation because this is a challenging section of this letter. But modesty is not an unimportant topic for the church to be aware of. And and I think, again, if you've had the parenting experience, I think, you know, you've probably had, you've probably found yourself having that discussion once or twice. That's really helpful. I'm aware of the time and I'll be very brief. I just want to say, I think that that is a, a very helpful comment and I'm going to take a step outside of what Paul was saying. This is not what Paul was intending in this letter, but I do think as we, as, as, Christians read this and seek to live this out in our community. I do think uh, we should be mindful that much of the clothing that we wear has symbols on it. It, it, uh, Many of us wear the logos of companies. Many of us wear brands. And this applies to men just as much as women. I think this is where Mm -hmm. this conversation is very helpful. When we brand ourselves and allow that to mean something, because, hey, listen, I've got kids. I grew up. Uh, you know, in a school with other people, when you wear one thing, it means one thing. When you wear another thing, it means another thing. And and if what you wear makes you feel like you're not enough, if you're not wearing that brand or that thing, then as a Christian church, I do think we need to push back on the kind of identity making that that does for us. Now, once again, I want to be very clear. I'm, I'm not pretending here that Paul's talking about our Mm-hmm. sort of version of American consumerism and, and the brand identity. I am saying, though, that that if you are willing to have that conversation, that steps it out of what may be that conversation about, you know, women and dress that the, the church has had over and over again. It, th- that applies to every single one of us. And so if that's your point of entry, you know, that may be a place that's worth considering. Yeah, and the church has used these verses and the verses we'll look at tomorrow as, as a club. The church has you know the church has done some damage with these with these verses and these ideas by turning them into rules by turning them into rigid guidelines and telling young women or, or telling women in general what it meant for them and and we we have to own up to that we have to be serious about that we have to discuss that but underneath that i do think there is some conversation that is helpful as we think about how it is that what we wear and how we conduct ourselves speaks to the outside world. And and I think when you simplify it, Paul is saying, would you rather be known for dressing nice or for being a, an authentic Christian, for, for being a disciple? And for Paul, the answer is clear. And I, and I think that's a worthwhile conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Hope there's been something encouraging, maybe challenging uh, in this today. Certainly subscribe if you want to continue on with us during this study. I'll like the video if you found it helpful. Certainly go to comments and offer feedback. Uh, we'd love to engage with you. Uh, glad that you're here today and look forward to continuing the conversation, which we've still got, we've still got yeah. some more uh, conversation to have. We've got some stuff to work through. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody.